0: Today I want to share with you another aspect of our bold faith. This journey that we're taking is more than just talking about a building. Though that is important because we look at this building that we look forward to someday standing up across the road as a tool for ministry. And I want us just to lock in our head to that because oftentimes in church world, if a church sets out to build a building, a lot of other ministries start to fizzle out because the focus becomes a structure. The structure of a facility is simply a tool to accomplish the mission and ministry that God's given us. We want that tool to be used for a place of worship like we have today, a place of Bible study, a place where the trainings can take place for leadership, missionaries and pastors will be trained there and other leaders will be trained in that place. It's a place where the community has access A place where we engage with families on purpose, where it's before school, it's after school, it's all the time. We're constantly in purposed engagement to serve families in our community. People are in great need today. And so this location that we're talking about is is not just a building that everybody drives by once a week and says, Oh, wow, look at that neat church. But no, it's a place where its ministry happens out of that spot. And that's what we're trusting God for as a miracle. And part of this bold faith journey today that I believe is important to us is not just learning about prayer, which we did last week, of going to this throne of grace that we have access and confidence to go to. But in that, we also learn the boldness of sharing our faith. You know, when I think about this as a Christ follower, I can think back to the years of my life that I knew I was a Christian, and how many months or years may have gone by between the spaces where I shared my faith, giving someone else a valid opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm not here to ask for a show of hands by any means, but you have to answer the question in your own heart. How long have you been a Christ follower? I've been a Christ follower for 44 years. I can look back at how many years went by and I can remember distinctly because you know what? When you share your faith with people and you give someone a valid opportunity to know Jesus, those are memorable moments. Those are incredible moments. But I can also look back and know the spans of time where that didn't happen in my life. Why? Was I living in disobedience? Was I lacking submission? Did I not care? Was there a lack of love in my heart for the Lord as a result, a love for people? Was it a fear of rejection? Was it a fear that I might be asked something I don't know the answer to? Was it a fear that I would get canceled out in some way and so I went silent? And so I think about that and maybe those things might apply to you. I don't know when it's been since you shared your faith. And you know what, most of the time when preachers talk about stuff like this, everyone in the pew feels guilty. That, well, we haven't done enough. And I'm not here today to guilt or to shame any of us. Today I want to charge us through the power of the Scripture to understand the gospel has been entrusted into our care. We are stewards of the incredible mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the power to save. It is why we exist as a church. Yes, we come together to worship and we should. But part of our worship is to share with the world the great news of Jesus Christ. And we not only do that in your family, in your place of work, your school, your environments that you're in every day. But we ask God to expand our footprint wherever that means in community and around this world. And we just go with God where he's at work. We've been studying through the book of Mark And watching Jesus train disciples, and Jesus is bold. That's why we're getting into this bold faith, because I love the boldness of Jesus. Jesus has already told the disciples three different times distinctly. We're going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to get arrested. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be spit on. He's going to ultimately be crucified. And then he's going to be, he will raise again from the grave on the third day. Jesus has already said this three times distinctly, which means he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he knows the day it's going to happen because he is the Passover lamb. And so he will go to be, make, make himself an offering for sin and be the Passover lamb for all of mankind. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And so as we look into our text today in Mark chapter 11, This boldness of sharing the gospel. We're going to take our lead from our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the boldness that He has. Verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples. And He said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered into it, you will find a colt tied, and one which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he'll send it here. The power and boldness of Jesus. He's going into Jerusalem with his disciples, knowing full well what's happening next. What's going to befall him here? He's going to eventually get arrested within this week. This is the triumphal week when he makes his triumphal entry. And so now, guys, in our study, we're in the last week of Jesus' life on this planet. And He goes in boldly, knowing what's coming. Why would He do that? For the love of mankind, for the love of you and me. The Word of God teaches us in the book of Hebrews that for the joy that was set before Him, He will endure the cross, despising the shame, and ultimately is seated at the right hand of the Father. But He goes to the cross because of His love for mankind. The sin debt of man must be paid, and He's the only one qualified to pay it. The sinless Son of God is the only one that can do that. But His boldness to just go right into the middle of it. He sends out two disciples. And these two disciples are going to be game changers because I believe this to be Peter and John. But these two disciples now go and they're they're instructed distinctly what to do. And they're going to find a cult, a, a donkey, that has never been ridden before and he's tied up against the gate, and you're going to lose him and then bring him back. This incredible omniscience of God, meaning he's all-knowing. Did Jesus run ahead of them in the night to somehow get this whole scene all set up? No! He sees things perfectly in the same way that Jesus can see right now what's going on in your heart and in your mind. He knows exactly. He saw exactly what was happening and could send the disciples out to go get this donkey and bring it back he demonstrates his incredible power this power this incredible power of Jesus in the fact that as a sovereign mighty God is going to now take control over a donkey that he's not even touching why because these guys are going to untie a donkey that has never been tamed I almost—I I looked up this week, and you can go look at it for fun. It's very entertaining. I was going to show a video clip today of a donkey, of a man trying to ride or even lead a donkey that has never been tamed. It's quite entertaining because, I mean, they'll clear fences, throw people off, they'll destroy stuff. And you can look it up later. But these guys walk up and untie this donkey and then lead it back across to the town where Jesus is at for him to now ride upon it. This is incredible power, His omnipotence, His sovereign power over all of creation comes in submission to Him. In verse 4 it says, So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to Him, "Why are you? Why are you what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let Him go. Now this, this at face value, this looks like if you're a... a a Star Wars fan, this is a Power Jedi move right here. And I'm going to explain. Because they unloosed the cult, and Jesus already told them what was going to happen. When you unloose the cult, if anyone asks you, What are you doing? Why are you unloosening the cult? Because the Lord has need of it. So it's one of those they are asking, Hey, what are you doing with that cult? It's like, the Lord has need of it. And they're like, Oh, the Lord has need of it. And you go on. And so it looked like a Star Wars move here. But it's not, because this is Jesus we're talking about. And so it is exactly the way Jesus told him it would be. And here's the thing. The owner of this donkey now, when he hears the Lord has need of it, wanting to serve the Lord, makes the sacrifice of his own animal and gives it unto the Lord. So you now have two disciples being obedient to the word of Jesus who go. This donkey that's never been tamed is going to get led back to Jesus. The owner of the donkey now sacrifices and gives his own possession unto the Lord. Whom he maybe has not even met yet. Why does all this matter? Because everything is happening exactly the way Jesus said it would be. If you were one of those disciples that was going into town, you have to imagine, as they're walking and having the conversation of, well, how are we going to know which donkey it is? And then you find the one that's obviously tied up exactly the way Jesus described it would be. And then to have someone ask you, "Hey guys, what are you doing? Oh, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, we'll go right ahead. And on the trip home, having this discussion, which is not recorded in Scripture, so I'm not going to embellish anything that's not in the Scripture, but I'm just trying to imagine what that would be like. The affirmation, confirmation, so distinct that what Jesus has said, it came to pass exactly the way He said. Why does that matter? Because if I look into my Scriptures and see... What has Jesus instructed for me to do as a disciple of Christ? He has sent me as a messenger. He gives us very distinct words that we can communicate. He's not only that, but he's instructed us on the, the situations at hand that, you know what, just as Jesus had, uh, was rejected of men, so will we be. But God is at work in the lives of people, and so we don't know who God's at work in the life of it right at this moment. So when you go and you share the truth of God's Word, God convicts and draws people based on the Word of God and through the power of the Spirit of God. These disciples in verse 7 says, Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and He sat on it. Jesus now... Sits upon an untamed colt, whom he can now ride into town, and this colt submits unto him. All of creation. This is the same Jesus who calmed the storms. This is the same Jesus who raised people from the dead, who made the blind to see and the deaf to hear. This is the same Jesus that fed thousands of people. Has no problem bringing an untamed donkey into submission without running it through a training course. He sits upon it. It demonstrates His incredible power. His sovereignty. He's demonstrated His omniscience, His all-knowing, His omnipotence, His endless power. And the disciples in response of this, knowing that This is the coronation of the king. What do you do? It's the heart of worship. What would you do? All you have here right now in your possessions in this grand moment of the king is going to ride into town on a donkey, which is an animal symbolic of peace. The Gentile kings would have come riding into town with horses and chariots, which are symbolic of power and authority. Jesus comes riding in with a donkey, which is symbolic of peace. And what do they do? They take the only possession that they have, and that's the clothes on their back, and they put it on the back of the donkey. Full submission. But it was a full, open identification with Jesus, knowing that He is the King and I identify myself with the King, Jesus. Well, then others begin to do the same. In verse 8, it says, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. It was an open identification that I'm a Jesus follower. Jesus is the king, the the true king. He's my king. And so people were beginning to take off their clothes and lay them down on the road and cut down branches to make the pathway fit for a king, seemingly. Where did this originate? The boldness of Jesus to go straight to Jerusalem, knowing what would befall him there. Two disciples who obediently followed the word of God, the power of God on demonstration. And now he's being exalted and worshipped as the true king. In verse 9, then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And blessed is the kingdom of our our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That term Hosanna means, oh, save. They're declaring him as the Savior. This is a quotation really out of Psalm 118. They're, They're just speaking scripture of songs that the Hebrew people have known. They're declaring Jesus as the king. They're saying, Jesus, you are the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of David. You are the rightful heir to the throne that we've been anticipating. We've been waiting for you. And now they make this declaration. And so it started with just two disciples obediently, speak, um, obediently going to get the donkey and doing what they were instructed. And now you have a mass of humanity now proclaiming, Hosanna. Hosanna is the King. The Lord of the Highest the Most High God, the Everlasting. In verse 41 of the chapter 19 of Luke, it says that while all these people are celebrating and proclaiming Him as the Messiah and singing Hosanna, Jesus wept. Why would He weep? Because as He's riding into Jerusalem, He saw the plight of humanity. The need for the Savior, but the rejection of the Savior. The religious crowd had so blinded the people. They were blind, but they blinded the people. They had imposed all kinds of things upon people that this is the way to God is by doing all these activities. They had profaned the temple of God. The house of prayer had been profaned into becoming nothing more than a merchandising event. And Jesus wept because of the lostness and the state of mankind and the corruption. Did that hold Him back though from going to the cross? No. He still goes to the cross to pay the sin debt for mankind and from the position of the cross still says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that is the heart of the why. We see the heart of our Savior and this is what drives the boldness. is the incredible love of Jesus for you and I that we would have a a Savior that would give us rightful entry to be with God for all of eternity. Our sin debt paid in full. This incredible boldness of Jesus is now passed on to His disciples. So this isn't just an isolation story that we can't connect to in any level of reality. No, it's totally connectable to you and I where we sit right now. Because Jesus, after His resurrection, gathers the disciples and gives them a charge, then that charge has now passed on to you and I From the Scriptures we can see it distinctly. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This power that He's already demonstrated repeatedly, but we really see it here at the triumphal entry, that same power, that same boldness that Jesus has is now granted unto you and I. In fact, in the book of Acts, it won't be on the screen, but in the book of Acts chapter 1, the disciples are reminded once again that you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. They're going to experience the power of God because the Spirit of God is going to come upon them and then from then on, indwell the believer so that the moment you become a Christ follower, the Spirit of God now indwells. And now the power of God, that same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave, now lives inside of you and me. So the boldness of Jesus is in you and me. The problem is, we get in the way of that. My flesh gets in the way of that. My fear gets in the way of that. To where now instead of being this vessel that God can use how He sees fit, I decide how I want to be used, how I see fit. I decide when I'm going to open my mouth and when I'm not. I decide where I'm going to go and when I'm not. Instead of just opening my hands and saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Use me as you see fit today. And I trust you to give the words of my mouth and the opportunities to minister as you would see fit. When you watch the the film go forward in, in the Bible, and you watch when Jesus Christ is then crucified, how people, some were afraid to openly identify with Him. Remember, Peter, obviously, was one of them. He becomes a great, bold preacher, but, well, he struggled at the moment of the crucifixion. He repented of that later and became a profound preacher of the word. But I think about religious guys, like Joseph of Arimathea, who was of the Sanhedrin council, and Nicodemus, who also was a Pharisee, who came to Jesus secretly by night. And now that Jesus is crucified, both of these men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, come to Pilate begging the body of Pilate so that they could give him a proper burial, openly identifying with Jesus, and they don't care now what it costs because they are convinced he is the Savior. Mark chapter 15, verse 43 teaches this, that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This cost him everything. You're now outside the religious crowd because the religious establishment is who turned Jesus over to be crucified. They hated Him. they had even conspired together for this moment of crucifixion and then for the lie to be told afterwards that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. But Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they stepped away from all that and the price tag for them would be the lost, with family and friends and power and influence and all relationships they would have known but at that point they don't care because the only thing that matters now is the kingdom for all eternity not this little kingdom that's mine for now the apostle paul he makes a statement in the book of romans chapter 1 he said i'm not ashamed of the gospel It's the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's this open identification. You know, as Christ followers, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, really your first point of entry in terms of open identification with Jesus is through baptism. When you go through the baptism waters, you're telling everybody that I openly identify with Christ. Maybe that is a faith Step You need to take bold faith. to Say, I, don't want, I want to openly identify with Jesus. And maybe if you've never taken that step, you would take it now. When it comes to open identification with Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, to, to say, I'm a Jesus follower... To openly say, you know what, I'll pray with you and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus for that. See, you're, you're speaking His name over and over again that, you know, as a Jesus follower, this is what I'm about. When we go and hand out things and we're trying to be helps to our neighbors, that it's in the name of Jesus that we're helps, that we don't just provide clothes and food and and nice furniture for people who basically can live better until the day they go to eternity without Christ? No, it's that we might share Jesus, that they may know the Savior. This same boldness comes with speaking. We can't help but to speak because if somebody does not hear the gospel, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can live the lifestyle evangelism thing, and I get that, where if your message of your life contradicts the message of your mouth, then it's worthless. That's hypocrisy. But the idea that you can just live as a a good moral individual and living out what seems to be the Word of God, doing the right steps daily, I read my Bible, I pray every day, I attend church, and I do these things, and I help the poor, and okay, I do all that cool stuff. But I never proclaim the gospel to anyone. How would anyone ever know the Savior? They may look at you as a model citizen, but they can't connect it to the gospel. They have to hear the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, how will they hear unless there's a preacher that's sent? So Jesus sends us as preachers of the good news into this world to share the gospel. When people die without the gospel, they're separate from all of eternity in a horrible place called hell. Jesus doesn't want them to go there. Ezekiel 33 declares that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He hates it. But the wicked go there because they reject the gospel. They reject Jesus. Hell was made for the devil and his angels, and that is not the place that God desires for any man to go How do I know that? Because He sacrificed His own Son for all of mankind. That's how you know Jesus or the Lord wants all of us to be in His family and live with Him forever. He was willing to pay whatever price was required for that to happen. The boldness comes now with Peter and John. I believe the two guys that ran to get that donkey. In Acts chapter 4, you get to see their boldness now. They speak it. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. They may not have the greatest education, and most of us in this room would say that, when it comes to the things of the Bible. Well, I'm not a Bible scholar. Well, I'm not this. Well, I don't have it all memorized. I don't have all the answers. Well, that's always the reason why we don't want to share our faith. Somebody might ask me something I can't answer. You know, you could start in a really great spot by just sharing your personal testimony and story of when did you come to Christ. What happened? You know, I recognized I was a sinner and needed a Savior. The Scripture made that clear. And that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save me. He's the Son of God and gave Himself for me. And He died in my place on the cross and rose from the grave alive. And I trust Him as my Savior. There, I just gave you the gospel in 20 seconds. Yeah, we can attach a ton of verses to that too if we want to, but I just gave you the gospel. It's your story about being lost now saved. And what's God doing in your life right now? These men, uneducated and untrained in Scriptures, are now declaring distinctly the Word of God. You know, part of the reason we offer trainings in our church, constantly having Bible training of some kind, is so that we would be more skilled in the Word to live the Word, but also that we might communicate the Word. This week on Thursday night, we're going to start another class. It's a panoramic overview of the Bible. I encourage you to be a part of that group. I'm teaching it. It'll be at my house. I'm going to tell you, when I was in my 20s, it was the first time I really ever heard the story of the Bible and can connect all the parts of it together to where I understood that the whole book flowed together as one story. I had no idea. I thought it was just an eclectic group of all these things, and I had no connection to any of it. And when I understood the story of the Bible, then I could understand where I fit in that story. And it becomes very empowering. It helped me later in life when God moved my family to another part of the world where we lived in a very atheistic culture, where people had no concept of Scripture, had never seen a Bible, didn't know anything about God. To be able to start from the position of creation and go from creation to the cross in a matter of moments, because I learned the story of the Bible and can now share that with someone else. So I encourage you, take advantage of the opportunities to learn the scriptures, so that you can communicate these things more distinctly and master them. It's what we have been called to do as stewards of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, obviously, was so bold in speaking in Acts chapter 9 it says and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among the Hellenists which are the Greek speaking Jews but they attempted to kill him don't miss that they attempted to kill him they weren't successful because why because the power of God Paul is speaking the word of God and no man's taking that man's life until God gives permission for it to happen and they can attempt to take it all they want But God's the one who decides the time. And Paul was bold in his speaking. And when I watched the man's life, city after city, going every time he would go anywhere to speak the word of God, he was always opposed. Usually terrible things happen. I can tell you in my own life I've shared the gospel hundreds of times. I may have been called into question in other countries. I have never been threatened for my life but there are times that I have still retreated in fear and had to repent of it in fear that I didn't know how it would be received in fear of maybe losing relationship in this particular group of people that I didn't want to lose that why would I assume I would lose it That was not of God. Those were thoughts and fears to be repented of because I wasn't trusting in the power of God, in the boldness of God. It was me. I watched the ministry of men in the New Testament and beyond, but the boldness that was motivated by love. The Apostle Paul made this statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, for the love of Christ compels us or motivates us, or constrains us. It was his love for people. He saw the idolatry when he went into Athens, Greece. And he couldn't wait for his ministry team anymore. I've just got to get in there and preach the gospel to these people. So he was in the marketplace. He went up to the Areopagus, to the courthouse, so to speak, and he proclaimed the gospel there as well. He just has to share the truth with these people because they're separate from God because of sin and idolatry, and he could see it distinctly. I think sometimes we're shocked by the sin of our culture and don't know what to do with it, and fear pushes us back, and especially now with cancel culture, no one wants to be canceled. And so we watch what happens when a culture begins to just die to the things of God and declares there's no God. I don't know why this is so surprising to us when... Someone who is lost behaves like a lost person. Well, what what does a lost person do? Someone who is lost maybe doesn't believe that God even exists. So basically they have a lifetime to live. However long that is. And then they don't know how long it will be either. But they're going to try to cram as much of life experience and the things that would make me happy today... As much as they could shove into those moments, moment by moment, because this is it. As a Christian, that's not our story because our story goes on forever. Eternity with Jesus. And we we know the rest of the story. But for someone who can't see that, doesn't believe that, this is it. So you might as well make the most of it today and do whatever feels good in your body. And whatever freedoms you want to express, express them all. Because after all, this is it. And as a Christian, we have the opportunity to come into the, to that and to share something of truth that brings the real peace. Like Jesus brought into the city of Jerusalem, the real peace. And the real story of what lasts forever, not all the temporal. But sometimes the shock of ungodliness causes us to shut down and I don't even know what to do with it. Because of that, I look at how Paul lived his life. Man, I do was bold. So bold to walk into places that were difficult. How can he do that? Compelled by love. But don't miss his prayer life. In Acts 4.29, he says, Now look, Lord, on their threats, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. In Ephesians chapter 6, you look at Paul's request from the church at Ephesus. And he said, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. He's in prison now. That in that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul prays for boldness, but he asked the church Please pray that I would be bold that no matter where I am, whatever platform God gives me, I would use that for the purpose of the gospel. Whether it's the marketplace, whether it's the courthouse, whether it's prison, that it would further the gospel wherever I am. I'm telling you, if I look at Paul's life, I think that's a one bold dude. Why is he so bold? God made him bold through the power of prayer. We see this power of God, the boldness of Jesus and those that say, Lord, here am I. Send me, make me bold, Lord, to proclaim your truth and God will do it. Well, now you're going to ask yourself the question, do you want to be made bold? Or does that make you fearful? Maybe God's going to put me in a spot that's a bad spot. And this is where we come back to the heart of worship. Lord... You bought and paid for me with your blood. I belong to you. I am your servant. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Paul prayed for open doors and asked for prayer, that new doors would open in Colossians 4, that meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak this is what we are constantly praying for as a church. I pray this always. Lord, give us new doors of opportunity. We don't have to wait for a building to have opportunities to minister in our community or through school systems. Before the bell rings in the morning and after the bell rings at the end of the day, there are opportunities to serve. Whether it's in sports teams and a lot of things we're already doing. This week, we, several went through training for Good News Club where we can have an after-school program at the school when the bell rings. Now we can engage with students. Praise God, we can do this. We ask for opportunities to engage in our community. Lord, show us where do you want us to be. And so this is a bold prayer. Lord, open new doors. We partner with our mission teams and or with our missionaries that are constantly going into new villages and new places. They've never been with incredible opposition staring them in the face, but they're asking, Lord, open this new village to us that we might proclaim the gospel where it isn't yet. This is bold prayers. Lord, open new doors. And this boldness that started, we see, with two disciples who went and grabbed a donkey and it turned into this incredible parade of Hosanna to the king. Hosanna in the highest. This bold faith encourages others. When Paul was in prison, he wrote to the church of Philippi. And he told them in verse, chapter 1, verse 14, he said, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Why was Paul in prison? For proclaiming the gospel. But now the brethren are becoming more bold to proclaim the gospel without fear, even recognizing that the consequence may be prison. And Paul says, fine, we'll just win the prison guard to Jesus. And so here's what happens. When anyone in this room take steps forward by faith. Here am I, Lord, send me. And we take on that approach. We pray for open doors and we ask God for the boldness and you proclaim it. And now what happens? Others become bold as a result of it. I appreciate you, uh, Brother Lynn. Most often on Wednesday mornings, he has a story to tell. Because often when you leave your house, and I've heard you say this countless times, where when you get up and leave in the morning, you say, Lord, let me be a blessing today. And invariably, you end up in conversations with people who are broken, who are in sorrow, who need Jesus, and it's an opportunity just to step in and share Jesus. And you know what that boldness does? It encourages others to be bold. As a church, here's my prayer request for us in this part of our bold faith journey. It's not just about buildings. It's about winning people to Jesus. If we lose perspective that that is our purpose as a church, is to win people to Jesus and make disciples, we've completely missed why we exist. We don't exist to build buildings. We exist to make disciples. That love, learn, and live Jesus. That's why we're here. My prayer is that we would be bold in sharing our faith. And my my request to the Lord is this. And maybe this is yours. First, if you're not saved today, that your prayer today would be, Lord, save me. Just, Lord, I call upon Your name. Lord, save me. I need a Savior. I recognize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I can't save myself. I'm trusting You today to save me. Maybe your prayer would be like mine. Lord, motivate me by Your love. That that it would constrain me. That, Lord, I want to openly identify with you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, there's simple things that we do as Christ followers that sometimes you can tell when you're no longer uh, bold. You used to pray in restaurants for your food. You stopped doing it. Why ashamed of the gospel? Just be honest. It's boldness. It's bold to proclaim the name of Jesus openly. Lord, please open new doors and grant me boldness to walk through them because why do I want a new open door? Because I want to share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus yet and our culture is full of people You I don't have to go very far and you could find an endless supply of people who have no earthly idea where they're going for eternity but need Jesus. Maybe our prayer today would be, Lord, I submit to you And today I renew my commitment to walk in obedience to your word, to go make disciples. And I want to challenge us as a church that we would pursue to share the gospel with one person. One. In the next year. Well, Dwayne, that's a pretty puny goal. What would it look like if everyone in our church over the next year gave someone a valid opportunity to say yes to Jesus because they would hear distinctly the gospel? Are you ready to make that commitment today? Lord, grant me opportunity for just one. You'll find out when you ask for that, the Lord will grant that request. And you'll turn right around and ask for it again and again and again. It won't happen without being compelled or motivated by the love for the Lord because that translates to love for people. It certainly won't happen if I'm not willing to openly identify with Jesus. But my prayer is, Lord, just one.